0: We have sung, teach me all your righteous laws, I pray, and so we turn our attention to God's Word, Romans chapter 6, page 1298, 1298 in the Pew Bible, Romans chapter 6, and we'll read the first 14 verses. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? For do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. As far as the reading of God's Word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction to, with that, let us read from the Heidelberg Catechism, page 878. In the back of the Psalter hymnal, Lord's Day 16, continuing to explore the meaning of the phrases from the Apostles' Creed. Lord's Day 16, on the bottom of the second column, on page 878. Why did Christ have to suffer death? Because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By his power, our old man is crucified. Put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. Why does the creed add he descended into hell? To assure me, during attacks of deepest dread and temptation, that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, on the cross... But also earlier has delivered me from the hellish anguish and torment. Beloved of the Lord, when King David was my age, he called for his son Solomon to give him final instructions. And he introduced those final instructions by saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. I am about to go the way of all the earth. He knew he was going to die soon. And he chose to express that with those words. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And he is absolutely right. Everybody dies. You who are of mature years, well remember the generation of your grandparents. Like the generation of my grandparents, they're all gone. And if you're of mature years, perhaps a senior citizen, it may also be the case that the generation of your parents are all gone. When you were young, you knew lots of people who were older than you. And they've all died. It's also the case that if you're of mature years, you know some young people who have died. It is the way of all the earth. You who are young now, look around you. See the gray heads and know that they're not going to be there much longer. It's the way of all the earth. We're all going to die. And so tonight we want to consider this matter of death. And the Catechism asks the question, why did Christ have to suffer death? But before we answer that directly, let's be clear in our minds what death is. What is death? How would you define death? Our society, our culture defines it as the cessation of brain waves or the cessation of heart activity. The heart stops beating, the lungs stop breathing, and the brain stops working. And when uh, there's no brain waves, uh, then you are clinically dead. Not that everyone who dies has to be measured to see if that's the case. It's usually quite obvious. But uh, that's, that's how our society measures death. But that's certainly not anywhere near a biblical understanding of what death is. The first thing we need to remember with regard to death, as far as the Bible is concerned, is that death is punishment for sin. The day you eat thereof, the day you sin, you will die, said God. And the New Testament says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, says the prophet. That's what death is. It's punishment for sin. But, but what, what does it consist of? What is that punishment? What is it? Well, the simplest way to understand it is separation. Separation. Separation from that for which you were created. And you were created basically for two things. You were created for God, and you were created to live in this place. <laughs> you were created to live in a place and live in that place with God. God put Adam and Eve, He made them of the earth So that they truly belong on the earth, and uh, he then came down to dwell with them on the earth. That's what made paradise so wonderful, was the fact that God came down to the earth to fellowship with them. Well, death means being cut off from God, and it means being cut off from the place for which we were supposed to have fellowship with God, cut off from the earth. Uh, one of the uh, passages that uh, defines death quite uh, well in terms of separation is Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, where it says uh, uh, concerning unbelievers, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. And then Paul describes what that everlasting destruction looks like. They will be shut out. They will be shut out from the presence of God. ...of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. They'll be shut out from His presence. You know, we uh, sang in the first song tonight that the Lord is far from the proud and uh, hard-hearted. He withdraws from them. He separates Himself from the wicked. Jesus talked about people being cast out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth... It's to be separated from God, separated from the majesty of His power. Majesty is another word for the glory and the the wonder and the splendor. The psalmist in Psalm 80 talks about, let your face shine. <laughs> and uh, the song that we said, uh, sang says, don't frown at us anymore. Uh, it wants us to, his face to shine as opposed to frown. He either frowns or he shines. He frowns or smiles. And uh, the shining face is the smiling face. And that's what we want. We don't want his frown from a distance. We want his smile and his shine f- uh, near close at hand. Uh, That's what we were created for. But uh, death is separation from God, and death is separation from the place where God meant to have fellowship with us. Now, death comes in stages. It comes in stages, uh, for example, for Adam and Eve. It began with them being cast out from God's presence, cast out from the place of full fellowship. They were expelled from the garden, expelled from paradise. They couldn't have close communion and fellowship with God anymore. They were separated from Him and separated from the place where God wanted to uh, to be with them. They couldn't be there anymore. Indeed, uh, death began at the moment they were cast out of the garden, which was the day that they sinned in fulfillment of what God said. Although uh, the, uh, the tabernacle and the temple uh, foreshadow a, a restoration, it's still the case that uh, we are separated from God. Uh, we have the beginning of being drawn back to Him through the down payment of salvation, the down payment of the Spirit. But, uh, but still, because of indwelling sin in us, God still keeps His distance from us. We, we don't have the kind of intimate fellowship that Adam and Eve have or that we will have in the new heavens and the new earth Uh, But we know we're going back in that direction. But death, death is is taking all that away from us. Death also included returning to the dust from which they were made. You know, we were indeed made from the dust of the earth, and and many people find uh, great affinity with the soil, especially uh, you who are farmers, you know, you you delight to be out in the field working the soil planting and uh, harvesting and, and and getting the ground ready and that sort of thing uh, you 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 delight to be there you feel close to 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 God when you're close to the 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 world that he created and it's not just farmers who have a, that kind of sense of affinity with with their place here on earth uh, we all experience that to a certain extent when we glory in the beauty of God's creation Uh, The birds and the flowers and the sky, the sea, uh, the wonders and the beauty of his creation. When we see the majesty and glory of it, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, his handiwork. And our heart thrills to, to see the beauty of this place. And that's all a good thing that you feel at home here because this is the place that God created for us. He created us to be here. But then we sinned. And we forfeited our right to be here. And so God takes us away from here. And we return to the dust from which we were made. That's part of death. First we are separated from Him. Then we are separated from our place here on earth. And we can't enjoy living on the earth anymore. But that's not all there is to death. Death goes on. It goes on to eternal destruction. We uh, read uh, two weeks ago from John 5, John 5, verse 28 and 29, All that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good, that is the good of believing in Jesus, they who have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they who have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I shudder even to say the words, the resurrection of damnation. The book of Revelation calls this the second death. And thankfully, those who are united to Christ in His first resurrection have nothing to fear of the second death. that has no power over them. But for those who are not united to Christ, this second death is that eternal destruction. From the presence of God. In that lake of fire that burns forever and ever. It is too awful to comprehend. It's in the flesh. There's a resurrection of the wicked. So that in body and soul. They will experience the wrath of God. For all eternity. Not on the earth. But in this place of fire and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, this outer darkness where God's smile is never seen, where only His frowning power is felt. That's death. That's the ultimate death, the ultimate punishment for sin. First God withdraws, then He removes us from our place, and then there is that ultimate second death in that lake of fire, the resurrection of damnation. If you're afraid of death, you're smart. <laughs> it's not something to, to toy with, it's not something to take a chance about and think, uh, you know, well, maybe, maybe it's not really real or not. <laughs> this is something that is certain and sure. God has revealed it in His Word. His word is true. His word has been confirmed by signs and uh, uh, miracles again and again by those who brought this word so that uh, it is beyond dispute. And our own consciences tell us that indeed we have fallen short of the mark and we deserve to be punished. This is an awful thing. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God, from our place, and being cast out into the outer darkness forever. Parenthetically, I might add that this understanding of death, which I believe is a biblical understanding of death, is totally incompatible with evolutionary theory. Those who uh, try to uh, propose Uh, theistic evolution that is an evolutionary process over millions of years where human life evolved uh, from the primordial slime and uh, single-celled life forms that evolved uh, under the direction of God into human life forms. Someone who tries to uh, adopt that theistic evolution, evolution under God's control, will have to say that you know those single-celled uh, life forms—the first ones—they died, and uh, when they evolved into multicell life forms, those died too. And when the, they evolved into monkeys, that uh, supposedly evolved into human beings, there were lots of deaths along the way. Death is natural in evolutionary theory, whether it's theistic evolution or atheistic evolution. Death is part of. Of the theory, and it 's not at all punishment for sin, and those theologians who adopt a theistic evolutionary point of view, uh, some of them are honest enough to recognize that they have to redefine death, that they can 't view it as punishment anymore, which goes right to the heart of the gospel, right to the heart of the gospel, because if death is not punishment, then christ 's death was not a satisfaction of the the justice of God uh, against sin. Uh, His death cannot be seen as punishment. And so uh, these progressive theologians have to redefine the atonement. And so you have uh, the uh, moral influence view of the atonement, that it's supposed to demonstrate how much God loves us, or it's supposed to influence us to live self-sacrificial lives. But to speak of it as God... uh, uh, putting Christ, Christ uh, offering His life as a payment for sin because death is punishment for sin, that just doesn't fit with evolution. And uh, some of them are honest enough to admit it. Uh, I wish they would uh, stick with the Bible and not uh, come up uh, then with a new definition of the atonement, but that's, that's what is being done in many places, and uh, we need to be on guard against that. But then that, that brings us to that question, why did Christ have to die? And of course, the reason he had to die was because of justice. The justice of God demands that sin must be paid for. And only the death of the Son of God can pay for our sins. You and I can't pay for our own sins because we keep on sinning and because uh, our lives are polluted by sin. We can't offer to God a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice. Uh, Christ could, he was sinless. And therefore, as a sinless human being, he could offer a perfect sacrifice. And as a divine person with infinite strength, he can absorb the infinite wrath of God against the sin of the world, take it all in and cry out at the end, it is finished, it is paid for. Uh, he had to die in order that the justice of God might be satisfied. And of course, that means he had to, en- he had to endure the second death. That's part of the punishment that we deserve, the second death, that uh, that, uh, in the flesh punishment. And the catechism deals with that in the last question and answer when it says, why why does the creed add he descended into hell? Why does it add that? Well, so that we know that by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier... He delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Uh, the catechism is saying you may go through difficult times and think God is punishing you, but it's not the case that he's punishing you. Christ has already endured it all. Uh, many people are misunderstand the Apostles' Creed because it has a series of sequential events followed by one that is not sequential. And it's, it's not obvious that it's not sequential if you're not familiar with biblical theology. Uh, He was crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell, and because descended into hell comes at the end of a list of otherwise sequential events, many people assume that descended into hell happened after he died and was buried. But the catechism is reminding us that that's not how we should understand the word descended into hell. If he had descended into hell after he was buried, his body wouldn't have been involved because his body was not breathing at that point. His brain was uh, uh, dead and his lungs weren't breathing, his heart wasn't beating. Uh, He wasn't experiencing any anguish in the flesh, which is part of what our sins deserve. We sinned in the flesh, we must be punished in the flesh. That's why there is a resurrection unto damnation. And so Christ had to experience the infinite wrath of God in the flesh. And we know he did, because while he was still breathing, while he was still in the flesh, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was utterly forsaken of God and experiencing the anguish of hell, the anguish of what that lake of fire is all about, which is separation from God and from all His kindnesses and all His blessings and all the uh, uh, patience that He shows otherwise toward the wicked in this life, all of that is removed and they know only His anger against their sin. And Christ experienced that on the cross. And even before He got to the cross, He began to experience being forsaken of the Father. And He did that so that He might satisfy everything that you and I owe to God. Everything that we deserve for our sins, He endured. Well, the question comes then, if He did all that for us, why do we still have to die? And the question, the, uh, the answer, of course, uh, can be stated a little different than the Catechism. Uh, we we could say, well, we don't. <laughs> we don't have to die. What, what the Catechism says is that death has been transformed. And that's another way of saying that, it's not punishment anymore and if it's not punishment it's not biblical death it it's similar in that uh we uh, we return to the dust from which we were made but it uh, it becomes a blessing because uh as paul says in philippians 1:21 uh, for me to live is Christ to die is gained how can it be gained to Be taken from this place. Well, because he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We know that when uh, our bodies die, our spirits uh, go to be with God. And so we can join with the apostle in singing, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when a Christian dies we uh, celebrate the fact that they have entered into glory and are uh, with God and that their their life of suffering and their life of sin is over. Their body is still subject to to decay but at the resurrection even that also will be overcome. Their body will be restored, spirit and body reunited and we will be with God on the earth uh, forever and ever living in His presence in, in the in His presence and in the majesty of His power. Uh, this is a, a wonderful transformation for the Christian and therefore uh, precious in the eyes of the Lord or the death of His saints. We know that uh, He uh, takes us to be with Himself and so uh, we do not need to be afraid of death. Death also, uh, when we know that it is approaching, uh, focuses our minds and focuses our hearts. When David knew that his time was about to come, he he wanted to get things all straight. And uh, that's what uh, we do, too, if we have uh, the opportunity, knowing that uh, our life is going to come to an end. Uh, sometimes relationships that have gone unmended for a long time get mended and uh, we learn not to uh, love the things of this world that are perishing, but uh, to desire more and more the things that are with Christ at His right hand. And uh, we, uh, we learn to uh, look forward to the coming of the Lord. The, uh, it is uh, a blessing that uh, we know that we're going to die and that we can prepare for it by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and putting our old nature to death, which is the last thing that the Catechism deals with here. It says that uh, already now there is a benefit to you by the death of Christ because you are united to Christ by faith. You're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. You have been uh, set free from the power of sin. It no longer uh, enslaves you, but you are free now to be a servant of God. When I was pastor in Orange City, there were two men in the congregation who have now gone on to glory who were prisoners of war in World War II. One had been a prisoner in a prisoner of war camp in Germany and one in Japan. And when they were prisoners of war, they were not free men. They were under taskmasters, cruel taskmasters who uh, tortured them and uh, punished them and uh, controlled every moment of every day. They were not free to do what they wanted. But then the liberating forces came and they were set free. And when the, the, the gates of the prison were opened and they came out, they, they celebrated the glorious freedom that they had. Now all the effects of their imprisonment Uh, were not immediately wiped away. In fact, uh, they spent the rest of their lives recovering slowly, day by day, recovering emotionally, psychologically, physically from the the trauma that they had been put through in the camp. Uh, But uh, nevertheless, they were free and uh, they were being healed. Well, that's, that's sort of like what we are. When we were Uh, Still outside of Christ, before we became Christian, we were enslaved to a terrible taskmaster, Satan, who who ruled our lives. But that slavery has been broken. Have all the effects of that slavery been done away with? No, we're still being healed slowly, and the process won't be complete until the resurrection. But we are now free, free of his power. We're no longer in chains and slavery to sin. We are free to begin to serve God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and begin to uh, do righteous deeds, even though they be small, uh, even among the most holy among us. There, we only have a small amount of righteousness, but nevertheless it is true righteousness done to the glory of God in gratitude for what Christ has done for us in setting us free. And, and that's a present benefit of uh, the death of Christ for us. Uh, The knowledge uh, of uh, our death and of Christ's death for us assures us that uh, we will uh, indeed be set free from the power of sin and death and made uh, heirs of eternal life. May God give us such faith. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the death of Christ on our behalf. We thank you that he went all the way to death, including even the second death, experiencing uh, the fullness of hell while hanging on the cross in his body. We thank you that he did that so that we never need be afraid of uh, what uh, is happening to us, that it might be punishment. We know that he has borne it all. And we thank you that uh, our own deaths in this life have been transformed into a glorious transition into your presence. And pray that we may live now as men who have, and women and children who have been set free from the power of sin by a union with Christ in his death and resurrection. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to